Welcome back to PodEx, where we aim to help upcoming graduates navigate the early years of their design careers. Hear from designers who share their expertise and give you their advice. Hi, my name's Jane Connery and I'm the Director of GradEx, Swinburne School of Design and Architecture Annual Graduate Exhibition that celebrates our students' achievements. I'd like to begin this PodEx episode by respectfully acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which Swinburne's Australian campuses are located and pay our respect to their elders past, present and emerging. So joining us today is designer and Swinburne alumni, Vishna Badar. And after graduating, Vishna rejected multiple job offers and opened her own creative agency at just 21. Her career has taken her all over the world and she has worked with numerous high-end brands, including Michael Kors, Giorgio Armani and the Sydney Opera House. In 2008, Vishna created her own jewellery company with a focus on empowerment and encapsulating the spirit of the modern woman. And also joining us today is Maya Kendall, a PhD student at Swinburne University, researching the materialisation of typography and how we engage with typographical products. Maya is also a freelance mixed media designer and practising conceptual artist who works across the disciplines of installation, typography, scenography, web design and development with clients in the fields of art, fashion and culture. So welcome, Vishnu and Maya. It's such a pleasure to have you here with us today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Jane. Great. Thanks, Maya. And this is, for people who are listening, that the first ever um, episode of PodX that we've recorded in person. Although Maya's still virtual for us, but this is very exciting. Let's kick off our discussion today with the idea of luxury and what does that mean in design? Um, Vishnu, do you want to kick off with your thoughts? You know, I would say that I've always kind of been in the luxury sector, but to me, you know, recently luxury is becoming a word that people don't like to use because it's been overused. But for me, it's always meant a very high quality. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it could, you know, you could use any word instead of luxury, as long as it denotes something of extremely high quality, something that's very refined, that has a great attention to detail. In my mind, that is what constitutes something that's luxurious. Um, You can have a luxury car, a luxury brand, luxury fashion. Yes. Maya, what are your thoughts on uh, the word luxury? Yeah, I agree with the attentiveness as well. And I also think it's in those details, those those nuances. And I guess the consideration of actions and hand gestures associated with how you reveal and open something. <laughs> and I these, these moments before and after surprise, I find completely impactful. And I think with luxury brands, they play with the time it takes you to, I guess, get the item and you know, all of those added layers. And the process is quite sensory-oriented and I think enhanced by humans' emotional attachment of, you know, anticipation and that leading to satisfaction. Satisfaction, you know, luxury in the design space utilises these design sensibilities to create an experience that is beyond the price tag and I guess beyond the product itself. It's this feeling like, you know, Vishnu said, it's a feeling of worth and um, there's a greatness to it. And, yeah, and the thing of luxury as a word, it's, I think I see it as like a display or a facade and there's all these 
several elements that make up the form and content within, like, you know, the unseen and seen, whether it's in the product details, the packaging, or, you know, right down to the typography. And typography, I guess, interrelates and is the role of the storyteller. And, uh, you know, it directly invites the buyer to become you know, the protagonist within this whole world that they're creating. It's, yeah, it's quite cool, isn't it? (laughs) It is cool. When you sort of said it's the hand gestures, um, I'm thinking of Instagram and all the unboxing things the students would be (laughs) seeing. Not necessarily luxury objects all the time. Maybe makeup is quite a common one the students might see Mm. um, as a luxury brand. But I'm also thinking about, um, I think Pentagram got Tiffany as a brand at one point and decided that not only the Tiffany blue would be on the outside of the boxes, but their contribution to the design was that the blue would be inside the boxes as well. But yeah, that attention to detail. Vishnu, have you had sort of a job that, you know, what sort of tiny details in a case study could you talk to us about that really defines luxury in the work you do? Well, I could speak to my own fine jewellery brand which I um, created over a decade ago now. And that is completely about high-level quality and detail. Um, but the objective is that there is also a longevity to everything that's done. Um, I mean, I can't bear the, th- the idea of throwaway. So even if I'm designing, let's say, tissue paper for a brand... I make it so beautiful that you don't want to throw it away Mm -hmm. or that you at least want to reuse it for something else. So longevity to me is really important um, in in this idea of luxury. Um, So yes, all the the details matter. I mean, with my own own jewellery cases, I mean, none of those huge multi-billion dollar brands have a case like mine. You know, you can go to any of those brands, Cartier, Tiffany, whatever, and spend $2 million, $10 million, you will get a cardboard box (laughs) that's covered with velvet, essentially, (laughs) which probably I can tell you what it costs to make. (laughs) So proportionately wise, I think that's kind of strange. So when I embarked on creating my own jewel case, obviously it was – you know, I did it because it's carte blanche. I can I can manifest whatever I want. And um, I made them out of this beautiful um, uh, kind of loose sight crystal material. And um, they're a shape like nothing else. And mm-hmm. they actually can be – you can put the jewels in there and you can view the jewels. You don't have to like you – can, you can view the jewels on the table, but they're protected in the case. So everything's transparent and see-through. And – it's just another level. It becomes sculpture in a way. Mm. Um, but detail, you know, at one point, the first edition, we, we did multiple versions of these cases. The first one had a hinge on it that was made by the jeweler. Oh, wow. The hinge itself Beautiful. is more expensive than a lot of pieces of jewellery. <laughs> the hinge. So, you know, it's that level of like pushing something to a point where that's like hyper, that's luxury on steroids, you yeah, know. So mm-hmm. I, I love that because it's the deep, I'm all about the detail, you know. And even with the construction of our jewels, we endeavoured to, you know, hand make these, this jewellery in a way that many brands don't. And how do we know that? It's because you can just go online and you can zoom in and see how, you know, 
large yeah. brands manufacture and we kind of like we're amazed so at the quality bespoke craft element can be yes. quite luxurious as well as opposed to mass production oh no it's all about the hand mm. it really yeah. is i mean if you, if you look at like hermes i mean they're like the, the you know the ultimate in terms of the saddles that they make the hand stitching the bags you know it's all about the hand and the and the people who make our jewelry it's exquisite construction the polishing is exquisite, whereas you look, you can look at other brands and look close, you'll see that it's not polished. You'll see that the angles are not 90-degree angles. You'll see that they cut corners. Yeah. And I, the whole exercise to me is interesting because I want to not cut corners. Mm-hmm. I like things that are difficult. I like things that are expensive because they involve the hand. And the hand takes time, and time is money. So it, it's all kind of connected, but I believe that, you know, I've always loved to buy things once and have it forever. Like, you know, I've been in New York, you know, almost 25 years. You know, the first beautiful desk or table that I bought maybe 35 years ago in Melbourne, I had it shipped over here. I have the same desk. So it's one thing that maybe cost me $12,000 then, but I have it now. And I think that's relevant to what's going on in the world in terms of buying things that you keep and not screwing up the environment. There's, you know, an accidental sustainability kind of no, behind I th- I think, luxury yes, brands. I think, yes, accidental, but it's actually, there is, I think, a philosophy mm. to doing things well and doing them once. Absolutely. I really believe in that. So tell me how, so typography is something that you both uh, engage with. How does typography relate to this idea of luxury? You know, there are millions of typefaces in the world, okay, and, you know, there are fonts that are beautiful and fonts that are not, and there are many ways to analyse a font, and there are, I I believe that there are fonts that are more beautiful and elegant than others, and in fact, I was working with a client recently where we went through this whole font exercise, and I think that, you know, I'm drawn to fonts that have a certain finesse to them, that they're fine. It's a type of fineness. That doesn't mean I don't like a bold font, Mm -hmm. but it has to be just really well constructed. So for me, it's a construction thing. And I don't go for trends, you know, fonts. There are so many fonts that are all about trend and what have you. Well, a script is that sort of shortcut to say luxury when it comes to typography, right? Right. But that's not necessarily the truth. Definitely not. No. It's a trend. That I mean, it's call. a trend even in the last five years where you've seen the high-end um, fashion brands like Yves Saint Laurent, Burberry, um, uh, Celine, a couple of others. Everybody's pretty much using the same font. Mm-hmm. It's a, you know, sans serif font. Even Burberry, whose logo I loved in the past, which was, you know, it's an old British brand, has been stripped to a, a sans serif font, which looks like everybody else. Yeah. And I think that's an error because I think that what brands should be doing is um, encouraging their personality and encouraging difference and celebrating difference, celebrating the histories through typography, well, which is, is is a very important marker. Yeah, these brands have a legacy, right, of, of luxury yes. and of trust in the brand. And, yeah, it does seem strange that typographically they're stepping they're away. Stripping, they're stripping history and, and creating kind of a generic – Language. Yes, of yeah, flat modernist. Anything from a software brand to a fashion brand can mm-hmm. look exactly mm-hmm. the but same. But look, but there are the brands that are staying true 
to themselves, and yep. I think that's that's great. Maya, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I also think that we should inquire about typography is just an object. I mean, it's either lines or it's curves. And from embarking on this research so far, I'm finding there's actually a lot of complex network of relations and connections and a set of like physical, psychological and social conditions behind why someone's drawn to a particular shape. And I think, you know, like Vishnu was saying that she was very much interested in like the delicate and drawn to those sort of qualities, but also the bold. And I think it's the contrast, these feelings embedded of how, you know, you perceive them and in the particular context that you are perceiving them. I think there's a lot more things to be said about the dynamics and engagement with the form of it. And there's no right or wrong answer. It's completely subjective. So someone's idea of luxury could be quite, you know, bold and adventurous or, you know, something definitely more delicate and has these similarities to jewellery, let's say. So everything is sort of interchangeable and connected to another visual element that's, you know, been impacted in your personal experience and your place and time. And there's, there is a lot of degrees of similarities and oppositions and a lot of contrasts that are important to consider between someone's attitudes and behaviours and then their sort of interaction with the typographic object itself. So I don't think there's actually one way of answering this question. It's yeah. very multifaceted. Yeah. Absolutely. Understanding, especially as a graduate designer, that, um, you know, taste trend and the concept of tradition or heritage, it is, it is quite subjective. Um, culturally, yeah. um, geographically, where you are can all be interpreted very differently. That's a fantastic point. Let's move on a little bit and talk about Know Yourself jewellery line, Vishnu. We get to see not only uh, physically touch your bold and modern typography, but yeah, it's Letters, it's it's um, jewelry. Tell us what inspired that line. Well, that is a collection within the the Vishnu Jewels brand, where it was actually not the intention to. I didn't start off saying, "Okay, I want to design something with typography in it." Mm-hmm. The idea was first to communicate this sense of knowing oneself, and you know, as a brand, well. You know, Vishnu Jewels is is definitely about empowerment and, you know, having values that inspire, like, you know, courage and faith and power and um, freedom. They're all, like, incredibly positive values that are eternal. So I, um, I embarked on Know Thyself because I think as human beings, you know, we're here from the age of Socrates who coined Know Thyself to, you know, what's the ultimate goal in this life? You know, it's not to have 17 houses. It's, I think, in my opinion, to know oneself. And that is probably one of the hardest things in this lifetime uh, to, to do. So for me, as a reminder, since the jewels were intended to always be a form of fortification for myself and to share that with other women, for me, I thought that was a very uh, important thing to communicate, this idea of knowing oneself. And we are so... Um, our identity is tied up with our name, okay? So mm-hmm. the day we're born, we are given this name that we don't have any control over. And in my case, I had a very strange, different name. 
And, you know, growing up in Australia, um, you know, to have a name like Vishnu Brada, it's a pretty strange name, right, that I had to kind of correct everybody all the time. So, I mean, long story short, I thought that knowing thyself, because it's so entwined with who you are and your name, that the initials could be a really strong way of, um, you know, just working with the initials would be a powerful way since, you know, it's your identity in a shortcut, your, your initials. So um, you've seen the VB, which is my own. It's, it's visible online. But, you know, we, we basically each client gets their own, you know, initials and we create them as kind of like bespoke logos in a way. They're kind of like they're, they're the modern monogram. The other thing that's wonderful is that, um, you know, there are brands that do initials, but this is not initials because the way they, we, you know, ours are like almost seven centimetres large. So there's really gorgeous, big, voluptuous type forms that are very refined, but thin. We love, we love when things are delicate, but we love them when they're bold. So, and also I love the abstraction of it, you know, um, the fact that the VB, it could look like something else. It's abstracted and it's just not literal. I think that's a beautiful thing. I think that's where I'd like to take the conversation is um, the production as well as the design, um, putting together the metals and the stones. Um, what, what are important considerations there? Well, number one, the form is the first starting point. So it has to be aesthetically and visually compelling to me. It, it cannot look like anything else I've seen. So there must be a, um, a sense of the new. We make all the pieces out of platinum um, and most of them are made out of sheets of platinum wow. because you can't cast our designs. Basically, you cannot make moulds, pour metal into the mould and expect to extract the piece in one form. We get too, the pieces are too delicate. You get too many air bubbles and it's just way too complicated. So everything is cut by a laser machine and then the amount of hand polishing that goes into making it just pristine and clean is like, you know, could take a week, 40 hours sometimes to clean a piece. So, and then everything is made out of diamonds. Okay. And you, you can ask me why, but for me, it's like, you know, the simplest, purest way to articulate, you know. Luxury. Luxury. Absolutely. Thank you. I mean, you know. <laughs> Rubies, no. Emeralds, no. Sapphires, no. Sorry. <laughs> Again, that's a cultural subjective thing, but I, I think you'd find it hard to, for someone to argue against that <laughs> idea. I, I know I'm not opposed if someone says, hey, I want mine in rubies. Mm. God, say, go knock yourself out. Great. I'll, we'll do it. Yep. So I'll, we'll, I'll have mine in rubies. Thanks. There you go. <laughs> Maya, did you want to add anything to those ideas of typography and drawing? Yeah, I think it's interesting because um, you're looking at like frameworks that's quite these specific visual touch scenarios and I think these movements between like the dimension of the material that you're working with, whether it's like hard or, you know, this, there's so many like elements between how you create and then the impact it's going to have on the person that's using the product. And I think this feedback between making and wearing and having it in situ is quite an interesting sort of space to be in and there's so many aesthetic judgments that come about and visual appreciation and it's 
a lovely experience to hear you talk about it, um, Dishna, and I, I would love to see one of your products one day in person. <laughs> She's wearing oh. a necklace right now and it's stunning. Oh. <laughs> Thank you, Jane. <laughs> <laughs> I was admiring it all the way to the studio here. But trying, we will... to, trying to get your paws on I it. Was. I saw you. <laughs> she was standing two metres away, wouldn't I let know. me near her. <laughs> but we will have the links to all Vishnu's work um, where you're listening to your podcast today. So we, it is a very visual topic that we're talking about, but um, I think we're doing a great job at um, painting that picture for you. Maya, um, let's stay with you and talk about the visual element of the written language. So type being that. Yeah. What benefits do you think could come from type when we interact with it with all our senses, which is what Vishnu's jewellery is doing? Mm. I think at a large um, point of view, the sense of physicality in, you know, the current digital and disposable culture, I believe is kind of what we need to tap into more, to search for something of, I guess, substance and returning to craft practices and engaging with analogue solutions. It's almost like vital that we preserve our human instincts to touch and be touched by these objects and concepts. And especially because we experience and perceive our world through, you know, collaboration, not isolation of all of our senses. And conventional typography, when we think about it, it's singular, it's flat, and with its purpose being, you know, purely informational. Mm. But I think there's certainly a point of entry to start a different conversation by adding this third dimension and working with materials and applying that and prototyping and expanding on intuition and interaction beyond the, the traditional and quite restrictive typographic systems. And, you know, we see so many examples like Vishnu's storyline and there's, there's many out there that when typography is a physical um, product. And I think this needs to be discussed more because typography can be pushed further as a tool you know, of social function that could trigger reaction or invite reflection or, you know, awaken the feelings or activate memories or questions. Mm. You know, there's so many ways that we can communicate and understand this world around us and typography can be a way to do that. I think every time yeah. I think about um, typography in the physical world and experiencing it, I think of the um, the ground, the tiles at um, Fed Square where they've embedded yeah. typography and it's, I think they did it deliberately so it wouldn't be that comfortable on your feet and it just keeps you moving through the space. <laughs> but um, I think there's lots of examples of that in Melbourne. Um, Vishnu, what are your thoughts on, yeah, typography engaging all our senses? Well, I'm interested in beautiful typography. So, you know, I see a lot of type out there that I think is not informed in terms of its construction. And I would say that going through Swinburne with the education I had, I really had my eyes open to the art form within typography. Mm. And that's a serious art form, the construction of type. Yeah. And it's architectural and it's sculptural. And, you know, I don't think many people get it right. I mean, especially when we were yeah. researching for, for the jewellery line, you know, there are people who do initials out there, it's not. It's definitely not with the eye that I have, which is a typographer's eye. Absolutely. So I think that's, you know. I think I'm going to add in a thought here um, that I've taught typography for years and years and years and the, the movement from analogue production of printing to digital has taken that 
um, tactile nature away from it. It used to be metal pieces that were each letter that had to be put somewhere by hand, that had to be pressed into a page that you could feel on the page as well. So this sort of sensory element of type was there at one point and it slowly evaporated to just being, you know, digital prints with um, ink that you cannot feel on a page. It's quite bizarre. Well, that's why with the work that we do with our, you know, with our branding practice in New York, we love the tactile. We'll do everything to push clients to print, to create things that have a tactile sensibility, to engage these ideas of opulence and extravagance in a way and bring back techniques that you know, I, I have a guy who's probably 200 years old <laughs> and does beautiful, the most beautiful engraving for me that looks like it could have been done in the Renaissance. Wow. And these are the things I think we need to try to preserve, these techniques. Yeah. And so I love disrupting the flatness of the page and making it three-dimensional. And I think print finishes really have that element or that link to luxury too, right? Some, some metallic oh. foiling, some oh. embossing. Gilding. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But um, yeah, it goes back in history, like that typographic sort of timeline to, yeah, hand making mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. um, beautiful. I want to get out there and make a sculpture now, but I don't know what from. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's keep going. So Maya, your PhD research focuses on the tactile aspects of type. Tell us a bit about what inspired your research. Yeah, I think I became sort of frustrated with designing things in the digital space and that projects were not like never actualized. And as someone who is an obsessive thinker, I keep coming back to this question of what meanings and values does object making accrue in an age of pervasive digital media? And I guess this is something that requires contemplation, not only from my personal point of view, but, but beyond. And with this larger picture in mind, together with a rooted fascination in typography and the materialization of language, this exploration point slowly grew into a whole new field of material culture. And I think this interest has also evolved because typography is so ubiquitous. It's, it's everywhere. It's in the voice we speak, it's in the words we write, it's in the signs we read, and they're all forms of our day-to-day -day communication. So I had this thought of like, what if we present a new way of seeing and engaging with the letters of the alphabet beyond the paper or the screen and manifested as dimensional objects and products in this new context. And these typographic objects could, I guess, become mediators for discussing equally insignificant and uh, like quintessential subject matters about you know the human experience and language because it's in everyone's life every single person utilizes language and whether that's speaking language or feeling language there's so many different forms of language and I actually wrote down here let me find it it's a quote by theorist Victor Shalosky and he perfectly summarizes this endeavor and he said, the everyday world is invisible until we are forced to see it differently. Art is a primary means of making strange the already seen and the already known. And I just love this so much because you see typography every day, but why not see it differently? What's stopping us? It's, you know, there's, the world is so open and it's just 
changing and shifting our perception. And so my research will explore the possible um, like nature and purpose and experience of typography or typographic artifacts as physical sensory products. And if letters take on material form and they have shape and edges and volume, how might people relate to them on this new sensory level? You know, what physical associations might arise for the viewer? I think all these questions are just, they're impeding and I just need to find answers. But I guess <laughs> the study investigates um, the ways in which people, you know, objectively touch the letter and can be subjectively touched by this experience. So, yeah, sorry. I was just, I feel like I said so much there. Oh, Hopefully no. that makes I find it fascinating, especially this concept of invisibility when it comes to something that's saturated in our world, which is type, um, you know, it's polluted. And because there's so much of it, it's seen as invisible. And taking this slow approach, this luxurious approach can um, make it visible again. But there's another interesting quote. We're going to go all academic here, aren't you, Vishnu? <laughs> in 1932, um, Beatrice Ward, um, a female typographer, in the States um, wrote the Crystal Goblet about that idea um, that type should be invisible. Its role is to be read and to be understood. So legibility, readability, the more the more better, I was going to say, the better a typeface is designed, the more invisible it becomes because all you see is the words and all you hear is the words. But um, And that still rings true, I think, but at the same time, you know, these two ideas can sit together, can't they? That the invisibility of type and good design works well, but, you know, this um, luxurious, all the senses, three-dimensional approach to type um, can create, yeah, this beauty and luxury as well. And what about any benefits that we get from interacting with type um, in the world? Like, is there, let's think about this in, in a wider way, is there... Um, mental health benefits is there like where can we take this or is it a purely aesthetic kind of approach this is this is interesting isn't it and I, I I do think it's more about challenging the roles of the everyday and like you said about you know mental health it will consequently have these sort of you know effects on people and I think it's just this contemplation and narration that is something we need more of in experiences. These sort of temporary experiences can impact the way we see the world. And I guess it's just to question all of these conventions that are in our lives and just know there's an alternative viewpoint on things. And um, I guess that can really create so many different, you know, examples of applying it throughout our world. But there, there is this sense of overpowering influence and I think using haptics and using our hands can open up new spaces for us as humans and to explore the environment in a, in a more sensual way and that may better help our relationships with people and with our experience. So, yeah, I, w- I would love to have more answers, but I think because I've <laughs> started the research I'm looking at it more on a a larger scale but maybe in about a year or so come back and ask me again (laughs) well I don't know if PhD students ever come up with all the answers I don't that's not the point addressing the question (laughs) is the fun bit huh um but Vishnu what about this idea of the benefits of typography lay in the experience I'm sure you've got ideas about 
you know, experiencing type as a piece of jewellery, like, do you feel like you're designing for an experience? Yes. And, well, what is the feeling you have when you see something beautiful? Yeah, you feel it right through your body, right? It can be. I have mm. I have stood in front of pieces of architecture and I've had tears in my eyes. I have stood in front of pieces of sculpture and been so moved mm. that I couldn't speak. Mm-hmm. I have looked at typography that has made me speechless. So I think that, you know, it's about beauty mm. for me. You know, I think that, you know... You got, What's the the Metropolitan Museum about? I, I live three blocks away from there, okay? Oh, I jealous. go there and, <laughs> you know, you stand in front of these art pieces and it's just moving. So I think type, yeah. type well done, beautifully done yeah. in, the, in the most ultimate way possible, which what I, we've tried to do with the jewellery and typography, we aim to have that same sense of feeling mm. and emotion where it's this moment of, oh, where words disappear. Absolutely. There's That's something cool. to add to that. I guess what you were saying, it's like you can feel and sense all the traces of someone's work being put in there or, you know, all of these details and it's suggesting the intermingling of meanings and sensations and feelings embedded in typography or, like you said, architecture or sculpture. And there's like this potential, this uh, this space to relate as, a viewer and yeah it's very very interesting and perspective but you know a new perspective mm. fabulous I'm, I'm remembering back 20 years ago walking around the metropolitan and oh, everything really? that I stood in front of I would get that visceral yes. you know reaction yes to, it's, it's I'm a lot in front of it oh it's my very God. emotional <laughs> very and it should so. be that's what art's role is mm-hmm Absolutely. So Even just walking up the steps to come in, that mm-hmm. architectural experience, like mm-hmm. getting you ready for, you know, that mm-hmm. visual onslaught. Beautiful. Well, we've covered a lot of things today. Um, Vishnu, is there anything else you'd like to sort of talk about before we finish up? Well, I mean, I think we've covered important things. We've covered this notion that, you know, type is everywhere and it's important. And let's celebrate it. Let's make uh, my my role has always been to make it beautiful. I mean, don't forget, type is always a part of of a brand's mark, yes. and it's core, mm. it's logo. There's always a typography component. It's a critical ingredient mm. to how we understand brands and the world. And I, f- I um, feel like what I'm hearing from you too is um, to embrace the idea of decorative, of aesthetic, of beauty, like. Design has been pushed maybe in the last decade to be more conceptual, that the aesthetic becomes secondary, especially visual communication and graphic design, but it's so important. Oh, I've, I feel like, you know, it's too easy to just have a minimal logo. Yes. I mean, maybe 25 <coughs> years ago you could get away with it, and I saw that a lot of that happening in New York and, and I guess elsewhere, and but people are still doing it now, and it astounds me. It's like you've got to get more information back into the logo. It must communicate better. You cannot look so mm. generic. Yeah. I, yes. I, it's, to me, it's astounding. So with our clients, we really work very hard to try to get to that type of essential meaning that is unique for every brand and celebrating that and bringing it to life visually through typography, through images that could support the typography as well. Yes. More so, is more, Vishnu. <laughs> well, I think, I think you have to be relevant. Yep. You have to be relevant to the 
the person in front of you, the brand in front of you, and do what's appropriate. And you know if you've done your hard work and research and gone deep into that brand, you know that what you've done is the right approach. That you've, you know, if it's just type, great, that's the approach. But oftentimes, I think these days, it needs more. Absolutely. Thank Mm -hmm. you. And Maya, do you have some final thoughts? I guess in anyone's design process, you know, always just tap into the senses and think of design as a full body experience and, you know, let let your curiosity take you anywhere, you know. I think that's it. That's <laughs> it for the thought, yeah. Fantastic. So such an exciting discussion today, right, from New York and Vishnu's experience with her amazing career, right through the philosophical musings of you, Maya. It's been fantastic. So thank you for both of you for talking with us today and um, sharing your thoughts and ideas with Swinburne students. And thank you for tuning into this episode of PodX. We will be back with another episode discussing everything about design soon.